Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the SSC Weekly Podcast. Pastor Chad has a great message for us today. If you're new or would like to connect, head on over to our website and click the I'm New button. That's ssc.church. Click the I'm New button because we would love to connect with you. And our hope is that you'd be inspired to follow Jesus. Let's head on in. Well, good morning, everybody. Very glad to have you with us this morning. Thank you to those of you who are joining us online. We're we're in the middle of a series of thoughts. Uh, back before we headed towards Easter and headed towards Lent, Pastor Werner really had it on his heart that we should take a look at the book of Hebrews, this amazing book of the Bible filled with Old Testament imagery. And Pastor Werner thought it'd be a really great idea for us to look at that leading up to Easter. Now, I will say this. If you notice that Pastor Werner is not here today, it's because he's traveling to a conference. Uh, so that's why he's not here, but he's the passion behind our Hebrews thing. He told me to tell you, feel free to pray for him at the conference. He told us not to tell you he's in Florida, so you didn't hear that from me. Um, so, but, just, but he's actually traveling with some, uh, some national leaders to go to this conference on how we can better reach into our communities and be on mission as a church. So feel free to pray for those national leaders there. But back to Hebrews, we started reading the book of Hebrews. And if you've not been reading with us, uh, you can go online to ssc.church reading. We actually have some extra copies of the reading plan. We're working together. And here's one thing I would say to you. We're about halfway through. Just join us. Don't feel like you have to go back and read it all. I remember when I was a kid, I had these plans to read the Bible. In fact, I've got a special Bible reading plan, and I go through sometimes. And then sometimes you'd get so discouraged because you fell behind by four days, and you just cry because you've got to read the Bible for seven hours one day to catch up again. You know, you're not going to get a merit badge that says, I read the book of Hebrews when you get to heaven. All right, so just pick up the Bible. Join us where we are and join us on the journey. The important thing is listening to God's Word and hearing God's voice and getting to know Jesus. So catch up with us. We'd love to have you read. But we're reading this book of Hebrews, and we selected as we started a key passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, as the key passage for the entire series. And the passage is this. It's actually the first half of a verse. It says, we are to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, this book is written to a group of people known as the Hebrews. These are Jewish people who came to put their trust in Jesus. They left some of the old practices behind and realized, I need to put my faith in my trust in Jesus. But then these particular people, they were discouraged. They're at a place where they're wondering, is it worth continuing to follow Jesus because things aren't going well for me right now? And the author of Hebrews comes to them and says, it is so essential that you beget to fix your eyes on Jesus because Jesus is so much greater than what you've had in your past, so much greater than what you've held on to from before. And, over the, and that's why we've called this series Greater Than because the whole impetus and argument of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is the greatest. He's greater than the angels. Pastor Jeremy kicked us off talking about that a few weeks ago. Jesus is not just a messenger. He's just not another creature, but he is God who's come to be with us, to be on our side, to represent God to us. He's greater than Moses. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read about how Moses 
led God's people to a promised land, but it says that what Moses did just pointed to Jesus' greater work, that Jesus would lead his people to a true place of rest, to a true place of peace. And what happened in the Old Testament, or what the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, all that stuff happened with purpose to point us to what Jesus was actually going to fulfill. And then today, we're going to talk about this topic, and I know it's a pressing topic that you think about all the time. Jesus is greater than the high priest. Jesus is greater than the high priest. Now, just question here. Think with me for a minute. If you went up to one of your neighbors that's not a person of faith, or maybe they are a person of faith, how many of them do you think right now are like having sleepless nights just saying, my goodness, I don't know if I have a high priest? Anybody? Like, is this, is this, I don't see it in the news very often. People like, people concerned for lack of high priest activity in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Like, is that what's going on? No, it isn't. I'm going to be honest with you. I was like, I didn't get the short straw. Don't worry. I really think I'm going to have a fun time with this message today. But when we think about a high priest, this is not something that normally churns over in my mind in the evening um, it's not something my kids are coming home worried about. Do we have a high priest kicking around town that can best serve me? But for the people this was written to, we're going to start with them, and then I'm going to show you where I think there's some meaningful connections for us. For the people this was written to, this was a really significant thing. The temple of Jerusalem was the center, the center of worship for the Jewish people. That's where you would go to meet and see the presence of God. That's where you would go to ask for prayers of forgiveness, to know that things are right between you and God. You would go to the priests in your community to get guidance and go for things. In fact, so much so that when the Romans demolished the temple in 70 A.D., Jesus foretold it. He says, not one stone will be left on the other. When that was torn down, it became a landmark moment in the history of the Jewish people that they still recall and think of to this day. In Jerusalem, there's one place called the Wailing Wall, also known as the Western Wall, and it's basically the foundation stones of that building, which was built on a high mountain. The temple was completely destroyed and raised by the Romans in 70 AD. But to this day, Jewish people will still go to this wall in Jerusalem. It is one of the holiest sites in Judaism right now. And you can go and you can pray at this wall and seek God at this place because this is a holy place. And at the center of that holy place was a place known as the Holy of Holies where the high priest would go and stand before God and bring sacrifice for the people. And so for these Jewish believers at the time of the temple, having a priest was significant. It was important. But why did they have a priest to begin with? I want to just kind of, before we get to how we unearth this kind of connects to us, because really this is so foreign to us. Like, we don't go behind a curtain and we don't show up with lambs and we don't show up with grain. And, you know, it just feels very foreign to you and to me if you go back and look at all this stuff. But for them it was so important. And what made me think about this was actually a story that happens in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 20 at the moment before Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. 
There's this moment in Israel's history when they're gathered at this mount called Mount Sinai, and they're waiting for the commandments to be given. We're waiting for the laws of God. And it says the presence of God was so thick and so powerful, the people reacted this way. It says in Exodus chapter 20, it says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke where God was, they trembled in fear, and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen. But do not have God speak to us or we'll die. Now, Aaron was on the mountain with Moses. And God would later establish the priests to be these people. But the people had the sense that God is so foreign and so powerful, I need someone to be my go-between in this case. I need someone to explain the things of God to me, to stand in front of God for me. And in essence, what a priest's responsibility was is this. Priests stand before God on behalf of people and stand before people on behalf of God. That's what a priest's role is. That's what they do. And so in those days, they'd bring their sacrifices, which are ways of giving thanks, or ways of expressing contrition and asking for forgiveness. They'd bring these, and the priest would go in, and they would take these before God. And then at the same time, they would come out and proclaim God's forgiveness to the people, or they'd proclaim what God had told them to share with the people as they're discerning God's will. There's a story in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke of ten lepers who, need, who needed to be healed. They were sick. And Jesus goes to them and says, go show yourself to the priest. And you say, why would Jesus, the Son of God, say, go show yourself to the priest? Because the priests were the people who had the authority in the community to say, because God had given it to them, this skin condition looks like it's healed. Because in the Old Testament law, I read it just a few days ago, you know, if the skin patch looks like this, then you're healed. And that's what God says. And they were the people who stood in front of the people on behalf of God and declared they were clean. Now, let's just talk about this for a minute. I'm going to just say today we're not going to get into all that sacrificial stuff a whole lot. That's next week. This, this, this book is so thick. There's so much in it. But today I do want to talk about the role of a priest, even though it feels foreign to us, because this was a core part of what's going on in the book of Hebrews. In fact, almost one-third of the book of Hebrews is devoted to Jesus as the priest. Well, four chapters. Now, you might tell me, Chad, I really don't feel like I need a priest like that. Don't we have access to Jesus, access to God right now? Or, are you, or maybe if you're not a, you don't have a faith in Jesus, you just say, you know what, I kind of figure my own spirituality out. I kind of do what feels right to me and what guides me. And, and have you ever heard anybody say stuff like that? I kind of go with the flow, kind of piece it together. Well, here's what I just want to say in response to that. Because sometimes we feel in our part of the world we're very independent. But in reality, all of us, myself included, we all look to others to help us find our path in faith. We all do. Now, we might not use the term priest, but we all look to people who either have more education or expertise or people who have more experience than we do or people who seem to, you know, some would use the term, maybe not in Christianity, but who seem more enlightened than we are. We all look for those influencers. In fact, I was thinking about social media, actually. It's like all of us are looking for someone to influence and help us find our way through the landscape of faith. 
If you're in church today, you're doing it now. You know, and, that, and I'm, I'm not claiming to be the perfect influence of faith. We'll get to there in a minute. But, but in a sense, we, we look to people and say, who can help me understand this better? And so we might find a pastor or we might find a teacher. Or if people in different faith communities, they go to different kinds of people. I'm not advertising for them today, but I'm just saying this is real. Everyone looks to other people to guide them and to help them understand and to help them understand faith and life. And even the atheists look to other atheists to help them put a graded framework around their atheism. We all look for an influence. We all look for a guide. We all look for someone to lead us. And this desire for someone to help us navigate a relationship with God has been something that's existed from the dawn of time. In the book of Job, which was written in the era of the patriarchs, the time of Abraham, that's where the story comes from. Job says this in Job 9, verses 32. He says, God is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. In this story of Job, we read that Job is looking for someone to kind of be the go-between, someone to help bring his case to God and to have God's case represented him in a way he could understand. And that's what priests are for. Priests stand before God on behalf of people and stand before people on behalf of God. And we all look for these, we all seek these, we all need these in our lives. But there's just one problem. And there's a problem that's spelled out right inside of Hebrews. And I, the priests are just as messed up as we are. All of them. You take the story of Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. This is written right in the books of the Bible, in the first few books. You can go back and look at them. And he's appointed as the first priest. And what does he do? His first thing he does when Moses is off on a mountain excursion with God one day is he melts down a bunch of gold, makes an idol of a, a calf, and says, this is the God that led you out of Egypt. Why don't we worship that? He basically breaks the first command before the Ten Commandments have made it down the hill. And then you take a look at his sons. He had three sons. And two of them would steal things from the offerings God, people had brought for God because they liked the way they wanted to cook the meat their way, not the way God said it was acceptable to take it. And God got so upset with them, he killed them. Like, right from the get-go, this is not going very well. But we don't have to go back that far. We can look. Even when you look at our own heroes of faith, we look at Paul who wrote the New Testament. Much of the New Testament was written by Paul. What does he say of himself? Like, this is a common problem. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. Not I was, I am. I'm a, I, I am a broken person in need of God's grace too. And then, like, put the Bible on the shelf for a minute. How many of us can turn on the TV or have our kids come home from history class and tell us about things that are done by priests or pastors in the name of Jesus? And maybe, you know, we don't, we don't have to go far back. Now, this is not a defense, but this is a truth. This is not just a Christian problem here, eh? This is a human problem. You can look at religious leaders of any stripe. I did. You type in any faith you can name, 
priest and abuse, and you can find stories. And if you think it's not just a religious problem, you can search in atheist professor abuse, and you can find stories. Because this is the thing. Those people we look to as guides, they are as broken as we are. And I say that to say it's a human problem. That's not an excuse because for those who follow Jesus, there's no excuse. That, that, that's not okay. That doesn't mean it's okay for us to do that or say that or say, oh, it's just a human problem. It doesn't matter. It does matter so much. It is so horrible. And here's the reality I know. Some of you here today have been hurt or disappointed by somebody that you expected to be someone who spoke on behalf of God. I've been disappointed by people who are supposed to be speaking on behalf of God and hurt and broken. And I'm also not naive enough to think that for some of you, I might be the source of some of your disappointment in someone who speaks on behalf of God. But into that, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus. Hebrews 7, verses 26 to 27. Jesus being this one, such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, one who is blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike any other high priests, he does not have to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins for the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all and offered himself. Jesus, Hebrews says this, you know, you might, Hebrew people, you might be looking for the priest to be your representative, but those representatives are just broken and frail. They have their own issues. You can go to them for guidance. You can go to them to speak on behalf of God, and they have a role, and it's appointed, and God bless them for it, but they are just as broken as you, but we have a high priest whose name is Jesus, who is perfect, who does not disappoint who does not hurt, who does not abuse, who does not do harm, but ministers grace in life and is the one that we can look to for pure guidance in life. We have Jesus. Jesus is our perfect, ever-active priest. Jesus is our perfect, ever-active priest. David read the passage from Hebrews 14 that talks about we have such a great high priest who came and he's God, but yet he came with us and has felt our temptations and has felt our pain and can sympathize with our weakness. And then because we have Jesus who has done this, God who has been with us and who has now gone back to heaven, what can we do? We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence, being welcomed by him as our great high priest. Jesus stands before God on our behalf and stands in front of us for God. He fulfills the role of a priest. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, this idea here that Jesus is still acting as our priest. Because it's the next part of what they talk about in the book of Hebrews. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever stopped to think, what is Jesus doing after the ascension? 
And this is another one of those things you're probably not sitting up home at night worrying about either. But you stop and think, what's he doing? So like, he died, he rose again, and is he like on vacation waiting for the second coming right now? You know, it's like, he's going to go hang out at Jupiter. It's a nice view up there, kind of look at the cosmos and maybe take a tour around the Milky Way for a while. And then, you know, when second coming time comes, away I come. Surprised someone doesn't throw lightning at me for this kind of stuff. Anyway, but, but really, what's Jesus up to? There's this really fascinating thing is that Jesus is not on a vacation. He's not just waiting. He's not just twiddling his thumbs waiting for the end of time. In the Scripture, in Hebrews here, I'm going to start with this one, it says that he is continuing to minister and to be concerned for us. Hebrews 7, verses 23 to 25, I've got a portion of it on the screen here. It says, Now there have been many other priests, and death prevented them from continuing in their office. But then it concludes and says, Jesus, He, is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. When we did our series on prayer, Pastor Werner mentioned this about this, how there's this cool synergy is that Jesus is praying for you today. He lives to continue to intercede and to bring forth and to care for you. And this is not just a Hebrews reference. Uh, we got two other passages. I'll read them. You can look them up later. It's Romans 8, 34. It says, Who is the one who condemns no one but Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And 1 John 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. Now, this brings up one of those mind-bending puzzles in our heads here. It's like, all right, Jesus is God, but he's praying to the, like, is he having an internal conversation? How does that work? And, and we kind of see this even when we look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is kneeling by a stone, and he's praying, Abba, Father, and it's very clear when you look at other places in Scripture that Jesus is God and claims to be God. He says, I and the Father are one in the Gospel of John, clearly spelled out. But there's this sense in which there is there's this inner dialogue in the oneness of God. And the church spent a lot of time haggling over this, and people like different terms. But the term the church settled on eventually was the idea, the idea of trinity, meaning three in one, meaning that God is one. There's only what one God. But there's still this working of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that work together in this beautiful way. It's, it's, it's trippy. But here's, here's the thing. What Scripture teaches is that when Jesus died and rose again and completed His work, it says He ascended into heaven. He's in the presence. He's together with the Father and the angels, and He's interceding. He's continuing to watch out for us. And how that works is a bit mysterious, but I just know it's beautiful is that Jesus hasn't given up doing work on our behalf. It says in Scripture, in John, Jesus says, my Father is always working. The Father is working in this world. And Jesus is interceding and looking after us. And they are sending the Holy Spirit to fill and work through us. And that beautiful symphony of God's work inside of Himself means God's not finished with us yet. Jesus is our perfect, ever active priest. It says in Hebrews in chapter 9, it talks about how Jesus, after he had 
made the sacrifice of himself for our sins. It says part of the whole purpose is that he goes to heaven to be in God's presence. And the image of the temple that the Jewish people were so enamored with, that was so pivotal, what was going on, was basically designed and created to point to a greater reality of what Jesus was doing now. It says in Hebrews 9, 24-28, it says, Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. There was a copy of the true one. Jesus entered heaven itself, now to appear in God's presence. He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way a high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that's not his own. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he was, in this passage says, that temple you go to, there was this outer court, but then eventually the high priest, what the high priest does is he goes into this place called the Holy of Holies to stand before God and say, we have made a sacrifice. Would you forgive and would you provide your care and watch out for your people? And it says that that was just a copy of what Jesus was doing for the world, that he's gone into heaven and he is gone. And he's, after he sacrificed, he came back and said, it is finished. It is done. I present this once and for all. And now there is hope for us because Jesus is in the presence of God and he's finished and offered life for us. He stands before the Father on our behalf and then stands before us for him. That's what a priest does. I'm starting to think I need a priest. And then there's one other thing. And it's it's, I tell you, I feel like when we go in the book of Hebrews, it's like we're in an archaeology dig. It's like, have you ever seen those archaeology digs? I, was watch, I looked at a picture just the other day. I was online looking for pictures of things, getting ready for my sermon. And I ran into uh, this picture. They were building a big hotel in Turkey. I said, what's this got to do with anything? And as they tore down the hotel, they discovered this huge Roman tile floor. It was like huge. It's like bigger than this building. And they... And as the more they sweep, the more they find. The more they sweep, the more they find. The more they sweep, the more they find. Or those archaeological digs where they dig a little further. Oh, wow, there's a room down here. And then underneath that layer, there's another layer. Hebrews is like that. There's layers and layers and layers of things. And in this talk of the priest, there's another layer. And it's like, what is that? It's about this guy named Melchizedek. Who names their kid Melchizedek? He called him Mel. Like, Mel's easy to spell. Poor kid. You don't know enough. I've probably offended somebody. Does anybody know but it's somebody named Melchizedek? Really? Well, there's a first. I know somebody who knows someone named Melchizedek. Apologize to them on my behalf. Okay, here we go. It's a beautiful name. Love the name Melchizedek. I'm not going to use it. Um, but there's a story in the Old Testament really, and relating to priests, and it's a bit of a different story, and I feel like I'm kind of off on the side here, but I really want to get to it because there's a point in it. Back in the time of Abraham, before there were priests, before the promise had come to be fulfilled, before, before the law of Moses ever came, this man named Abraham, who was the one who was promised that the world would be blessed through him, who met with God, who's Jesus' ancestor, he was out in a battlefield, and he wins this battle, and he's coming back from a battle, and he comes back, and he meets this guy who's a king and a priest, whose name happens to be Melchizedek. 
And what's really fascinating about this guy, it says, if you look at the passage, it says in the Old Testament, I read this story the other day too, it says, he is a priest of, a priest of Yahweh. We sang that song Jehovah, which is an older English translation of this word, which is the name of God that was used in the Old Testament. It's an older style translation of it with the letter J, but more, more accurately, like Yahweh. It says, this man was a priest of, of Yahweh. And then Abraham receives a blessing from this man. And he gives one-tenth of all his spoils from a battle he's just won to this man. It's a tithe. He gives 10% of all the one to this man here. And you go, and then here's the interesting thing. We don't know where this guy, you know, he doesn't have an ancestry. There's no genealogy for him. He just kind of appears, and then he disappears. He's just there one day, and then that's the last time you hear of him, except for one reference in Psalms where it talks about, you know, a prophecy actually about the Messiah being a priest in the order of Melchizedek. But here's the fun thing here. It says the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. What's really fascinating about this is Salem is a way of referring to Jerusalem in the Old Testament. It's another reference there. So the king of Salem saying that this man who doesn't, he, he didn't know Abraham, but he's also one of the priests of the true God, and he's based in Jerusalem. And what you see from this is then eventually in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And you say, what on earth does that have to do with anything? I don't get it. And here's what I want to point to is that God had given a promise to Abraham, and then through him the world would be blessed, and through him there would be priests, and there would be all this stuff. But before God was doing anything with Abraham, he was also working on a bigger picture over on the left. Eventually, the promise that would be come through Abraham, the children of Israel, they would end up coming back to where? Where would be their capital? Jerusalem, the place where God was already at work over here on the left. What I want to say is this, before we think God is working, God is working. And he's setting the stage for something more amazing to happen. The children, the Hebrews were saying, oh, how can this work? Because we can't leave the temple behind. We can't leave the sacrificial system behind. I think I need to go back because I'm not sure what I should be doing. I want to go back to what I know. And then the author of Hebrews says, yeah, but before God built all this, and this is good. All of this was made as a foreshadow, as a way to point and understand who Jesus is. This points you to who Jesus really is and how he works and how you can understand him. He, the angel's important, but Jesus is greater than that because they point to him. Moses is important, but Jesus is greater than that because Moses' work points and foreshadows the work of Jesus. The priests, they're fine. But you know what? Before there were ever priests... There was a priest in Jerusalem of which Jesus is in the order of. And before everything else got put together, Jesus was here and he was working already. And as I stopped and I think about all these things, my mind actually went back to the verse that we chose as our theme verse for this whole study. And I thought about this whole priesthood stuff and it all just kind of like fell together as I considered it. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says we should... Fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the author, some translations say pioneer, because it's the idea of, of one who breaks a path or begins things, and perfecter of our faith. And here's what I want to kind of wrap up with, and I kind of want to land in today, is that as we think about a priest and Jesus' work as the great high priest, this verse kind of touches on the three big points. And the first one is this, if you have been disappointed by those who claim to speak in the name of God, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. If your confidence is in me, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If your confidence is in people, I'm going to tell you this, I have been disappointed by people, hurt by people, well-meaning, good people that I love. But as I stop and think, the first order of business is not to put my confidence in people, it's to fix my eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to say this, I know there are people here that you have experienced hurt and pain from people that should have been a source of guidance in life. And I, I can't excuse that, but I can tell you it's, it's something I can expect because the priests have always been messed up people, because the people are messed up people, because everyone's a messed up people. But fix your eyes on Jesus, because Jesus is the perfect priest. He is the source of our confidence. He's the source of our hope. This is Jesus. So we fix our eyes on Him, and it says that He is the author, or perfect, a pioneer of our faith. And it takes me back to that story of Melchizedek. I just thought about this, is that before I began writing my story of faith, Jesus had already picked up the pen and then started writing. Jesus already had a plan in place. The children of Israel had been the heirs of God's promise and were living out as the way they should have been. They had a temple. They thought they had it all figured out. But back before the system they valued had ever come into existence, God was also preparing something which was bigger that they fit down inside. Maybe you're lacking confidence in what God's got set out. Did, did, did God really have a plan for me? I'm going to tell you, before you even wondered if God had a plan, God's working on a plan. Before you even wondered if God was interested in you, God was seeking you. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says that Jesus comes after us when we're not interested, when we're not looking, or when we're looking in the wrong direction. God's already started doing something. And you can have confidence in that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because He's the one who writes your plan, not you. He's the one who writes my plan, not me. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author. And then this last one, I love this. It says, the perfecter of our faith. And perfection, we get all these ideas in our head, but you look at the, the word that stands behind it, and the idea is, He's the one who will bring it to completion. He's the one who will see it to the end. He's the one who will take it where it needs to go. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I just don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't see how 
God's going to take my situation and make anything good out of it. I'm going to say you this. Jesus is the one who gets you across the line. It's not your own strength. It's not your own power. It is a work of his Holy Spirit inside of you. There's this other passage. I I didn't put it on the screen, but I had to grab it here. It's Philippians 1 verse 6, talking about Jesus. says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will carry it out. He will see it through. And you know what? We can stop and say, oh, that seems kind of abstract. But quite frankly, for me, that's an anchor. The book of Hebrews was written to people who felt like they needed to quit because it was hard. They didn't know they're up from their down. They were discouraged. They were in a difficult place. And the book of Hebrews is written to them. And what does it say? It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, you can look at all the other things. You can look at the plans you used to have before. You can think the grass is greener over there, but no, 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 no. This, this is where the grass is life-giving. This is where there's hope. You put your eyes on Jesus. And, you know, he's been planning something in your life before you got there. And he's going to make sure it gets across the finish line. But your goal is to just hang on to him. And so today, what I want to do is I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for me and say, is there a spot in your life where you're holding on to a hurt? Are you still holding on to a hurt? A wound? I'm sorry. I truly am. I was talking on the phone with somebody else far away from here. He was telling me about a story of hurt at the hands of authorities in the church and it broke my heart I was like why there are real hurts and I know some of you have them here and I I don't say fix your eyes on Jesus probably want a cracker I, I don't say it lightly but I do say this at the end of the day he is the one who will sustain us not the people around us We have people, God calls us to be community, but ultimately we're going to have to look to Him. I want to pray for your hurt. If you're here today and you're just overwhelmed with your situation and you don't know how it's going to work out, I'm going to say Jesus is your high priest. He's interceding for you. He's before the Father for you. He's watching out for you, and He wants to carry you across. Put your anchor. Don't say, oh, what am I going to do? The only thing you need to do is look to him and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to sustain me through this. And I believe he will. So we're going to pray. And then after that, I'm just going to, we're going to sing an old chorus with Jill before we go today. But let's turn, bow our heads and pray today. And if you have a, a hurt or a need, I literally want you to hold it. Like imagine you're holding it in your hand in front of you right now. Take that. We're just going to offer it to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I just pray for those who are at home right now and those with us in the building. Jesus, I thank you that you are our perfect, ever-working high priest. God, first of all, I thank you that you're perfect. God, you stand before God for us and you perfectly show us who you are, God. I pray for those that have been hurt in the name of the church. In your name, Jesus. People who 
have done things that are huge and things that are small, but God, they still hurt. Lord, I pray for each of us, God, as we carry those hurts, that God, that we would, God, you pray help us, help us to forgive or, and help us to heal. But God, I pray you'd help us most of all not to turn bitter, but that we'd look to you and see our hope is not based in the failures of people. Our hope is based in our confidence in what you've done and what you continue to do. Holy Spirit, help us to look, put our eyes on you, to see you through the wounds and the pain that have been inflicted upon us in other people's hands. Help us to see you, Jesus. And God, I pray for those who are overwhelmed, who are holding on to dreams and plans they don't know if they'll come, and even ideas that they sense are coming from you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that we'd get our confidence rooted and that, God, you were the one who started our story, and you are the one who wants to see it to completion. You are the alpha. You are at the very beginning. You are the omega. You're the one who carries us at the end. You are life all throughout, God. And may we trust in you, God. May we trust that you're capable to complete something even if we're not, that you're able to finish something even if we can't do it, that you're able to carry something through when it's too heavy for us. God, I pray for those areas of confusion and doubt, Lord God, that even though the doubts may linger, God, our confidence in you will not. It will not fail. May we see your hand in goodness, I pray. May we turn our eyes towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing that one more time. prayer for you today is this. May you go in the confidence that you have a high priest in the highest heaven who sees you and who intercedes in your behalf. May you go in the confidence that there is a God who began writing your story before you knew you were even looking for him. May you go in the grace and confidence in knowing that this same Jesus who died and rose again is the same one who will complete the work in your life that he has destined you to do and to have completed. May you go knowing his Holy Spirit will empower you and guide you in these things now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, God bless you.
We're so glad that you've joined us. You know, you are part of something bigger and we want to invite you to get involved, to really be part of the team. You can help make ministry happen either by volunteering or by financially partnering with us. If you'd like to give, you can head over to ssc.church give, and you can even sign up for automatic withdrawals so that you know that your money is consistently making a difference and you are inspiring others to follow Jesus. Why not start today? Head on over to ssc.church give and sign up today. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you in the week to come. Thank you.